Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast uh, with me, Samantha, and him, Indy. And we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. Hi, Indy. Hi. <laughs> I like that it's, we play like, oh, I just walked in. Yeah. Hey, how's oh, hey, it going? It's you. Really, we've been sitting at this table for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Although, like, we kind of just, I just walked in from work not True. too long ago. Usually True. we spend the full day together and then we're like, oh, hi, how's it going today? <laughs> yeah. Less pretending in this one, I think. Yeah. How's it going today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it rained all day. Oh, it snowed first. Did it snow first? Well, yeah, when I was uh, oh, driving to work, it was snowing. I didn't get up early enough to see the snow. Yeah. That was at like 1030. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good day. <laughs> Any day you sleep through the snow, that's a good day. So if you're new to the podcast, we are on a pre-episode week where I will be revealing what movie we're going to be watching for next week and we will both give you uh, our thing of the week that we're both really into. Awesome. And if you've been listening for a while, I think you might know what Sam's pick <laughs> is going to be. I don't know for sure, but I have a strong suspicion. <laughs> uh, but before we get into everything, let's thank our first sponsor of the episode, and that is the Alberta Treasury Branch. And at ATB, they make banking work for you. With expert and practical advice in everyday banking and investment planning, expertise, and management services with ATB Wealth, you can be confident that you're making smart choices when it comes to your money. They have a history of doing what's right for their clients, especially when times are tough. Because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, visit atb.com. Well, Samantha, what are you into currently? What's your thing of the week? Well, I am just finishing reading a true crime novel, but oh. not about what you'd think. Novel? So it is a... But it's true. It's true. Okay. Yeah. So it is The Betrayal of Anne Frank, A Cold Case Investigation by Rosemary Sullivan. And it's really interesting. They're approaching the, like, betrayal of the Frank family. Um, and uh, they're looking at it as if it were an unsolved murder, which it kind of is. So pretty much everyone in our country knows about this. Can you give us like 10 seconds on Anne Frank? Oh, yes. I, I, I grew up knowing all yeah. about her. So, uh, so the Frank family were uh, Jewish, uh, German Jewish people who were living in Amsterdam and they were forced into hiding. And um, the daughter, Anne Frank, uh, wrote a journal the entire time that they were in hiding, which was almost two full years. And um, this journal was saved and uh, kind of reproduced by her father and uh, his, the whole family, like the Frank Foundation, um, owns the copyright to the book. And so they're, they're the people who've kind of made it available to people to read in schools and that kind of thing. And I remember reading about Anne Frank when I was about her age. Mm -hmm. And so it was like quite poignant because you're like thinking about yourself. And then like if you had to spend the next two years not being able to look out a window or walk on the street or see like a tree. <laughs> like it was really interesting and poignant at that age to be thinking about that kind of thing. 
Yeah, here I think almost every child reads it in elementary mm-hmm. school. And one thing that you left out, but I'm sure most people know, <laughs> uh, this is during World War oh, II and the Nazis. Yes, That's why they were yes, hiding. The yes, the Nazis um, were arresting and sending uh, people who were Jewish to work camps and then... Work camp was kind of the nicer yeah, term. It was for genocide. It. it was genocide. It was a death camp. And uh, Anne and her family were sent there after two years. So the book kind of, to like bring it full circle again, the book kind of sh- goes into who would have betrayed them because they were very well hidden to be able to hide for two years during raids and um, kind of people who were Jewish, but were turned to be kind of agents for the Nazis in order to stay alive. And um, the cold case investigation goes through a bunch of really likely candidates for who they think was the person who turned them in. So we're not going to get the answer no. of who they say, because read the book, mm-hmm. but could you tell us about some possible suspects? It's been a long time since I read The Diary of Anne Frank, which I think is often called the most read book in the world. I think so, because it's very widely distributed, too. I think the Anne Frank Fund actually sends it to schools so that it can be read and studied. And if you haven't read it, go read it. It's it's a good read. It's, it's a, Kitty, right? That's what she yes, names her diary. Her diary is named Kitty. So she, because she was kind of devoid of having any friends her own age, she kind of turned inwardly and started talking to her diary and her writings as if Kitty were a peer. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. I remember reading that and thinking, like, maybe I should keep a diary. And then I did that for about a day. And I, I kept a little longer <laughs> yeah. after reading it, but yeah, I didn't last. No, maybe like three days. But yeah, I remember thinking, like, oh, I should do this. And then maybe someone will publish it. Like, nobody wants to hear about like a 13-year-old <laughs> girl's thoughts. <laughs> Mine lasted close to a year, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet that was interesting. Um, no, I <laughs> thought, like, oh, I'll keep it. I didn't have any ideas that it'll get published one day but i did think this will be great for me to look on Mm -hmm. again one one year have you read it and then i read it when i was in junior high and was so embarrassed that i then burned it oh my god (laughs) i was like nobody should hear this i am so (laughs) (laughs) self-important aren't we all at like 13 though very true so some of the um people who worked on this case was a retired fbi agent um a bunch of investigators, including investigative journalists and people who work on cold case teams for other murders um, in law enforcement. So it was really interesting. They interview a lot of really interesting people and they utilized um, like AI to build a database so that they could search people and addresses and dates and see what everyone in their database was either doing that day or all the people who visited that address or what that person did throughout the two years that they're able to track. So it was really neat to see them use like some different, um, some like different technology and stuff that wouldn't have been available back during the uh, trials for war criminals. So whenever I read something about a historic case Mm -hmm. like this, the one I hear about a lot is Jack the Ripper. And I'm always very annoyed by their attempts to Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to solve it because we have technology. But they kind of ignore obvious information that was present at the time. This one, 
Are you liking how they're going about researching and getting into this story? Yeah, they... Obviously, this is a very well-chronicled period of history because of the, like, war crime trials that happened after. There's a lot of testimony. Um, and they've also, because it was so long ago, they've had time to kind of figure out who would have been more likely to make up a story as opposed to someone who probably would have just told the truth um, in their testimonies or in their trials or anything like that. So they go through and they find this list of suspects and they slowly, when they do one suspect at a time, they slowly work through and kind of take you on this journey and you're like, yeah, it totally could have been them. And then by the end, they kind of tell you why it wasn't them. Um, so it's kind of neat because you don't always know if this is if this is the suspect or not. But um, you kind of hear of interviews they've done with people who either lived on the street or their grandparents lived on the street that the Franks were hiding on. And then also um, like stories from other people who said like, oh, yeah, no, my window backed onto the window of the annex that they were hiding in. So I'm sure that my grandmother would have seen them all the time or like would have wondered or would have known that they were there. And so they do a really good job of kind of weaving the story as you go mm -hmm. and then building up to the person that they feel did it. So both well-researched and well-written? Yes. Oh, that's a rare combination, honestly. So the the writing is very kind of matter-of-fact to the point, which is yeah, and good when you're should be, reading right. about like police work. It's basically police work. So it's not flowery or like embellished at mm -hmm. all. And the first kind of quarter of the book is very much like scene setting for the things that we'll find out actually happened to the Franks when they were transferred to Auschwitz and then on past there. And also um, some of the things that Jewish people in Amsterdam had to do to kind of survive and to not be sent off to the camps. So it's cool to see the way that they approach it. It's all very respectful and like, not condemning of people who may have turned in their neighbors in order to not be sent off themselves. Yeah. So, and they, they deal with some, like, impossible choices, for sure. I mean, that was not a an easy time to live in, even as a non-Jewish person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't want to ruin the ending because they do take you on a really great ride to get to the person that they think actually did it. But they do have a theory they do have a theory okay yes. yeah could you tell us maybe of course not who they think <laughs> but the types of people that are suspects is it people on the street mostly people who live nearby yeah so there was like groups of people um who were jewish and then would kind of be like agents for the nazis who would like work their way into other jewish people's communities collaborators collaborators in order to gain their trust and then say like oh i've like i've got a safe house like please tell me if you ever have any people who need to hide or oh, like the false underground yeah. yeah so and then the jewish people would who weren't collaborators mm -hmm. they they would say like oh yeah no we have like a family in our basement and then within days right. that family would be picked up and sent away so 
there's a couple people who did that kind of work. Um, there's a couple just like police people who were very um, well known for turning in Jewish families um, because the Nazis had a system of paying for bodies, basically. Mm-hmm. And they have really good records of the people who turned people in. And how many people they were being paid for, basically. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't so know they were able to kind of like that. work their way backwards that right. way. And then they would look and they'd see like there were six people in hiding with the Franks. So did someone turn in someone for six people and were they paid for that? And so they were able to find a few that kind of fit that criteria and work from there. Interesting. Yeah, it was really cool the ways that they've kind of deduced different people who might have been involved. Were there any real outlandish kind of fun suspects? Um, There was like a really notorious um, collaborator who like very famously turned in many, many people, like almost 200 people. And she uh, was very, very good at like changing her appearance or changing her story and making sure that she never like double crossed herself (laughs) so that people would find out so she was a really interesting person to kind of hear them talk about and then you get a little profile of that character yeah and like how they could have been the person and then the people they talked to to kind of reveal that it wasn't them and then like moving on through that Right. And that's kind of the formula that they use. I like that. But nothing like um, maybe they were abducted by aliens. Maybe no, it was a serial killer. No aliens. Okay, it's all normal I think stuff. Good. It's pretty well documented <laughs> <laughs> that they uh, they were definitely taken by the Nazis. So I think... Maybe the aliens turned them in. Oh, maybe. Aliens. Collaborators. I don't think that retired FBI agent considered aliens. Mm. That's probably for the best. <laughs> um, I have about... A half an hour left but it's just kind of like wrap up epilogue stuff was this book one that you really felt you needed to push through or like hear the next thing because you were really yes. oh i was like hooked i listened to it because you describing it to me i was like yeah i want to get to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of this mystery <laughs> it was really cool and it was cool to see it because like, you know i love if you listen to the podcast you know i love true crime and i belong to a true crime book club but um it was neat to see them kind of approach such a historical event from this lens Mm -hmm. and to try and figure it out through like police work are you going to do this with your book club i'm gonna recommend it it? for the next for the next round of books although we have not read a book in like nine months (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i think i think they would probably enjoy this one too i just remember how like obsessed i was with anne frank when we read the diary of anne frank in school so Mm -hmm. this was one that i was like really excited to get um from the library and devour and my next question is this an audiobook that you're listening to it's an audiobook how's the narration um it's pretty good i think i actually haven't even looked at who narrates it but i think she narrated another book that i really enjoyed but i need to look into it and for true things, true crime, biographies, I think it's always nice to have someone who's kind of more middle of the road. Yeah, it's not like a dramatic retelling. Yeah. So you definitely get just, you know, your plain kind of narration. Mm-hmm. And um, she does a really good job of pronouncing all of the uh, German and uh, like Austrian and like Dutch things. 
Because there's a lot of there's a lot of other language things happening in this book. Right. So could you tell us the title of the book one more time? Yeah. It is The Betrayal of Anne Frank, A Cold Case Investigation by Rosemary Sullivan. All right. Check it out, all you true crime and history buffs. Yeah. Well, Indy, what are you so-so into this week? I am going to go with the currently on Netflix show, Agretsuko. Oh, so if you're not familiar, this is a Sanrio property. Sanrio famous for Hello Kitty. Yeah. So it's a cartoon. It has that same animation style. It has that same level of cuteness. And Retsuko is a red panda. And all of the other characters are also animals. There's no humans in this. Mm-hmm. But... The look of the show is probably the only part that will appeal to children because this is definitely a cartoon for adults and not in the sense that like, oh, there's vulgar jokes and people are drinking and there's sex. There's pretty much none of that. Although I guess people drink every now and then. Hmm. People. Animals. But it's an adult cartoon because this deals with the issues of adulthood in a very simple and straightforward way. And I think it's because of the cuteness of the visuals that they can get away with making it so adult, because I think it would just be too too sad otherwise. If this show existed with people, it would be too sad for me to watch, I think. So what's sad in it? The majority of the show deals with the lonely life of the title character. Oh, yeah. She and the show gives voice to the underappreciated worker, specifically a the female office worker of Japan. Because she deals with misogyny in the workplace, she has a kind of a profound loneliness in her personal life, and she just feels like a failure based on societal expectations. That's sad. So this show is kind of about people in their 20s who are still figuring it out, and how that is a huge demographic now, but it is not one that is often addressed in in this kind of way. Mm -hmm. I think the only things for that audience have a sense of detached irony or comedy to them and this does it is funny this is a funny show i think it's not just sad Mm -hmm. some of the humor maybe is just that like look at all these cute animals and they're dealing with this kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. there are like straight up jokes in it and it is a funny show but there is a lot of sadness to it i think the only relief that retzko has from her like really mundane office job because Mm -hmm. that's the majority of the show is dealing with her office life where she's underappreciated, her boss is mean to her, says like, oh, go get me tea, that's woman's work, and things like that. Oh. Uh, the only thing she can do to get away from it is karaoke. And she loves metal. So she just sings metal songs at the karaoke bar or the karaoke rooms, because in most of the world, outside of North America, you get a little room rather right. than doing it in front of everyone. And she'll go do that a lot, but sometimes those songs happen at the time of whatever incident is setting her off Uh so it's in like a fantasy world she's like if i could this is what i would say to you and she sings a song like a a, like a hard metal song telling her boss to like get his own tea things like that but of course (laughs) it doesn't actually happen but that's what she's doing in her mind of course and because it's a cartoon they get to play with reality like that a lot more um it goes the other way too like at one point she has a crush on a co-worker and everything gets like kind of all pink and hearts everywhere. <laughs> and I think the coworker's voice actually changes to be like deeper and more masculine. Right. And they start making him look more handsome because we're seeing things through her eyes. 
but most of the fantasies that she has are surprisingly grounded and probably similar to a lot of other people at that stage of life. Like, she has a lot about telling off her boss, Uh which, of course... Who doesn't want to? uh, She has a fantasy just about marrying rich and being a housewife, or she has a fantasy about quitting her job because her friend said, like, oh, I'm quitting my job to go into my own company, which turns out is just an eBay page. So she's just (laughs) selling stuff. Right. Do you know anything about, like, kawaii culture? Like, cuteness? Um, You know Hello Kitty? I know Hello Kitty. I know that, like... You put your peace signs up, and it's cute. Yeah. Yeah, so it is just, like, about cuteness. Right. That's that's what it means in Japanese, is just cute. And I kind of, again, not a woman, not Japanese, but I feel like this is kind of a logical progression of kawaii culture, because I kind of assume... Like, of course, people like it. It's cute. I like cute things. Very simple. If that's what you love about it, cool. But... From my brief time in Japan, it kind of feels like it is a um, a reclamation of space, mm. almost. It's uh, people, because it's targeted at young girls. Right. And it's like, I can be my feminine, cute self, and that's okay. I can celebrate that. Right. So I love that about that's it. That's fun. And also as like a guy who likes cute stuff, like I wear cat sweaters and stuff, because yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. And I like that this kind of culture gives... At least acceptance to that. That's super fun because, like, I feel like as a woman, not Japanese, but, like, who works and lives in the world, being cute is often, like, a downfall because you're not taken seriously. Yeah. So this is kind of a progression of that, I would argue, more than a rejection of that because mm-hmm. you have a very cute character, but she's screaming, like, yeah. in that, that metal like yeah. voice, right? I don't think it's, like... To hell with all of that cuteness. I think this is the progression of that. Okay. It is like women of the workplace. Like we are strong. We are sure we are cute and feminine sometimes. We also have this seething rage. (laughs) And that's what she gives voice to. And I think that's what I love about it most. Oh, I like that. That's fun. So there is four seasons of it so far. I think there is a fifth coming out. It's on Netflix? Yeah, I think it's a Netflix original. It's in Japanese, but there is an English dub. Okay. I think the English dub is very good. The character of Feneko is so good in Japanese, though. She's a side character, but like anytime she's in a scene, I switched over to Japanese because that Japanese voice actor is so good. Uh, There's four seasons. The first one is maybe superficial as a drama, but deep for a cartoon about pandas and Fennec foxes Mm -hmm. in an office place. And it sets things up really nicely. The second season really explores those ideas of being simultaneously listless and frustrated, which I dig. I get that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot about dating in your 20s. She has an overbearing mother, or at least to her, because she just she feels like a disappointment and doesn't want her life analyzed in that kind of way. It changes a good bit in the third season, which at first I didn't like because the problems get a little larger than life. And it was just a a bigger plot Mm -hmm. in general. And it wasn't about those little moments of mundane loneliness. The plot was more like what you'd see in a traditional American drama or sitcom. Okay. And I didn't like that, but then it got like brutally, realistically dark. Oh. And not over the top, but it was too real that it was very uncomfortable. And I didn't like it. 
but it's it's well done. I could see I didn't how that like would it because be... it was too much for me. Yeah, and I kind of like the show as like, oh, it's kind of cute. Sure, it has that realism to it, but it was it was straight up frightening mm. at one point, and not like, oh, there was a ghost in it. I don't want to tell you what happens, but think of uh, the fear of a home invasion. Oh, it's more like that. It's not that, but it's more like that kind okay. of fear. Yeah. And it's more, it also has to deal with more misogyny and stuff. So it gets heavy. It does get heavy at points. Wow. It sounds way heavier than a cute red panda show. Yeah. And then (laughs) the fourth season is out. I did not like this as much. And I won't really say much more than that. But there's good parts about it still. Okay. You should check it out. It's called Agretsuko. And that is spelled A-G-G-R-E-T-S-U-K-O. Or sometimes it's called aggressive retzko in depending on where you are but on netflix it's just one word aggressive. okay so if you are looking for a good show to that is kind of light but not always maybe mm-hmm. check it out if you want a show about cute animals learning lessons uh, this is probably not <laughs> the show for you but if you're more interested in how people or cute animals make the same mistakes but don't always learn from them Right. Maybe this is a good show for that. Okay. If you're looking for a show about people who are in a rut and you can see their way out and they can see their way out, Mm -hmm. but they just lack the confidence or initiative to take that way out. Right. I think that's something a lot of people can relate to and maybe isn't in TV very often. But oddly enough, this show about a cute red panda who works in an office building might be that... uh, sort of realism that you're looking for. Oh, that sounds nice. So go check out Agretsuko. Okay, I will. So our second sponsor of the episode is Pod Power and the Edmonton Community Foundation. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. We are getting a Pod Power shout out to Bookwoman, Bookwoman is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their story in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomanpodcast.ca. All right, Samantha, we're ready for it now. Are you going to fulfill my expectations? <laughs> what are we going to be watching for next week's Big Watch? So we are going to be watching the 2012 3D American dance film. It's 3D as well? Yeah. Oh. This is of that time, Sure, I think. sure. Uh, we are going to be watching Step Up Revolution. And this is Step Up 4. This is Step Up 4. All right. I figure we may as well just like do another one. Let's do it. Let's keep this. Let's keep stepping up. I love when we step up. Purposely, as usual, I'm not reading anything about the film other than who's in it and uh, kind of just who directed it. So this was released in July 2012. And it was released by Summit Entertainment, so this is the first step-up film that wasn't distributed by Disney. Oh, interesting. I wonder if we are going to see a drop in production values with this smaller company behind it. That's what I'm wondering. Um, This one did have a 
bigger budget than the last one. So okay. budget's $33 million. It made $140.5 million at the box These office. These movies just crush. They're amazing. How are they not still making them every couple of years? Right? So this film stars Ryan Guzman, Catherine McCormick, Misha Gabriel, Cleopatra Coleman. That's a good name. Stephen Twitch Boss, Tommy Dewey, and Peter Gallagher. Stephen Twitch Boss? Yes. He's someone. He is. That's someone I actually know. He is a dancer who uh, was runner-up on So You Think You Can Dance, and then he's been heavily featured on Ellen DeGeneres, and now he and his wife, Allison Holker, have hosted Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings. Oh, okay. Then I don't know why I know the name because I haven't seen any of those things. But maybe he's just a good dancer he's that a, people know. He's a big dancer that people know. Um, so this movie, I'm I'm like really trying hard not to read anything below the picture on the Wikipedia page because I don't want to ruin it. Um, can you tell me about the poster here that you can see? Well, it matches most of the posters we've seen yeah. because... There are a white heterosexual couple in an embrace. The woman is traditionally wearing a very small top. That continues on. Yeah. The difference, though, the man usually either has a very large top or like a a small top. Yeah. This time, shirtless. We cut the shirt budget completely. Yeah, wow. Well, it's not a Disney It was all spent anymore. on Channing Tatum's giant shirts, right? Yeah. Um, so this movie was also called Step Up for Miami Heat in some countries. Oh, so I, think, I was about to say there's palm trees, so it looks like it is not in Baltimore or New York anymore. Yeah, so I think we have left the northeast coast of the U.S. and are now in what I assume is Miami. You would think with being called Miami Heat. I wonder if the Miami Heat put a stop to it being called that. Like oh, the maybe. Yeah. <laughs> they called it Miami Heat wherever they didn't have a copyright on it. <laughs> yeah. Did you say the moose is back? Is moose back? Moose is not back. What? It's garbage. I'm out. I need my boy Moose. Moose. I know. I'm really sad that Moose isn't in the movies anymore because he was like the only thing that went from like the last two movies. For some reason, I thought he was going to be in all of them. But you know what? Sad to hear the truth. Although maybe he'll be in like a small role or something, like how Channing Tatum was technically in part two, but not really. Right. I hope so. So that's my one hope, is that Moose is in it. Wikipedia tells me that he is in all except for the first one. So I assume he's going to be in this. He may not be a big part of it. Well, I'll be on Moose Watch. Moose Watch. And looking up for him. Okay, so do you want to guess what the movie is going to be like? I don't even think so. No, because we've done this. It's a formula for every episode, and we've been right for every episode. There's only two dance movie formulas, apparently, and it's going to be one of those. Yeah, and they'll be from different worlds, and they're going to come together, and they're going to dance, and it's going to be great. There's going to be some heat. Yeah, Miami heat. Miami heat. So also returning in this one, uh, so we have Moose, we have Jenny Kiddo. Kiddo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And Hair. I don't remember who Hair was. No, me neither. Chris Scott. I can't remember what he looks like, but I don't want to look anything I else I only up. remember Jenny Kiddo and 
Harry Shum Jr. Is that the guy's name? He, Cable. Cable. Yeah. I he's remember not them. The, he's done with the. Uh, well, he's like a, a name he's now. He's like a big guy. Yeah. He's because like in those other ones, actor. he was just in the background wearing his fedora. Yeah. This wasn't like lead role enough for him now. So we will see the return of a few characters from previous movies. Apparently, Twitch was in the last movie too. All of these movies have kind of blended together yeah, for me. It, it's true. Oh, and uh, maybe I should have done it on this episode, but we can address some things because our resident expert, Maria, got back to us about uh, how wrong we were about certain things, yeah. but mostly how wrong the movie was about <laughs> yes. things. And also she says, don't call her resident expert, but too bad. She's she not is here. the resident expert. And she really is. Maria, just because you can't talk over us right now, you are <laughs> our resident step up expert. <laughs> Dance expert. Dance expert. <laughs> but we'll talk about uh, that a little bit, maybe next episode. Okay. One thing I can say is that we were talking about uh, part two and I think her name was Andy, the lead in that one. Yes. And we were saying her movement is so not fluid and it was jarring. And she was crumping, apparently. And that's like what crumping is. I've seen crumping and it's looked impressive. She didn't look impressive. No, she looked like she watched a YouTube video on crumping and then tried to replicate it. I don't want to go that harsh. But <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I but I again that's not a style I know. I've seen other people do it where it looks very impressive. I mm-hmm. don't think she was particularly impressive. Okay. But that's just me, a critic who doesn't know anything. It's <laughs> a little harsh. <laughs> well, as far as crumping goes. I guess, yeah. I've seen like seven people crump in my life. Whoa. So it's I don't really me. know. Okay. Okay, well maybe I'm the crump expert of this table at least. Of this table here. Of this kitchen. Of there is two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but neither of us know as much as Maria. And she's getting probably very upset right now because we keep telling people. <laughs> what she really said is stop telling people I'm very good at dancing and that I know a lot of. Oh, dancing. she's the best dancer but ever. she's so good and she knows everything. Yeah, I've heard she's the best dancer ever. Very knowledgeable, that Maria. It's funny because, of course, uh, 99% of the people listening don't know who that is. <laughs> but there is... The only thing Maria could ever get upset about is people saying that she's very good at stuff because she's like the most humble person Aww. ever, that she never takes credit for anything. But then when you go out of your way, like we're doing now, to say she's the best, <laughs> it probably makes her very uncomfortable. Well, it's true, Maria. You are the best. <laughs> <laughs> best dancer ever. Okay, so Step Up, I don't believe is available on any streaming services. Uh, It's for rent on a lot of the streaming services, but you have to pay. If you're one of those people who's like, hey, Andy, just can you give it to me? Yeah, sure. Let me know. (laughs) Um, If you have the Stars subscription on Prime Video, it is available there. And you're going to want to watch this because you have to complete the... um, I don't know how many there are, but whatever that number is, you have to watch them all. All of them. Mm -hmm. And like, why not? You're going to have no idea what we're talking about next week. Yeah. So uh, go watch, what's it called? Step up for Revolution? Revolution. Revolution. Well, I hope that there is a revolution in it. Okay. Well, we will see you next week when we discuss Step Up for Revolution. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) 